Hey, it's time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network with me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, designated driver, tickets and passes, please have them ready. We're poised to deliver Doctor Who conversation once again here on our big thinking, free speaking show for everyone, whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. We talk about it all on this show. All views are encouraged and there could even be a few laughs along the way too. So come and step into our TARDIS here in this anniversary year, the 60th anniversary year here on Type 40. Yeah, Back again here at Type 40 to talk all things space and time or time and space whichever way around that goes it's all fine by me and there's no time to waste the anniversary year is well underway a lot to celebrate lots to look forward to and as always with doctor who there's a lot to revisit too different episodes different adventures installments whatever you call them stand out to us for different reasons sometimes they could be simply the things that have kept us awake at night or sometimes they they help chart don't they our own lives little monumental occasions in our own families and fandoms and everything else around it so doctor who is our companion through our lives as well as vice versa and yeah my recycle bin is still full of cartons of easter eggs so we're just coming out of easter 2023 as of time of recording but we're going to go backwards in time this time to an easter it's not christmas past (laughs) That's something else entirely. To Easter's past with one or two, one or two friends, and first of all, waiting at the bus stop, I find somebody who's not been not been aboard for a little while. So I have to ask, starry-eyed girl Sarah Graham, where the bloody hell have you been? What kept you? <laughs> Hello, Dan. Yeah, oh, I've, been, I've been I've been trapped in the confession dial for four billion <laughs> years. What can I say? Uh, but yes, yes, I've been away for time back, and yes, I'm feeling much better, thank you. I've had lots of messages, you know, lots of well wishes, so I'm feeling good, and I'm really excited to talk about this episode. Well, I would say it wasn't originally a favourite, but it has grown on me over the years. So it could be an interesting discussion, I think. When it comes to this particular era, how could I not ask you back into the console room to talk about it because i think this is the one that whenever we get together that we geek about the most isn't it the original russell t davies run from 2005 all the way up to 2010 it was when you discovered the show was absolutely and you just see to seeing that console yeah i just get excited <laughs> yeah i've got my david tennant temp doctor bear behind me happy times and places and i just think we need somebody extra to converse Uh, (laughs) yes no doctor who story whatever the era gets an easy ride here on type 40 we choose our passengers very very carefully and it really is sarah a a mega bus this time because (laughs) (laughs) mega rider are my puns getting better or getting worse well they're definitely getting worse could be, could be. Let's gloss over it and hope that they don't notice as we welcome the mega geek, Mr. Ian David Diaz. Hello, mate. You okay? I'm all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. 
You ready to get stuck into this episode? Easter enough, episode. enough leg room. Enough leg room on the bus for you. Do, you. do you catch the bus very often? All the time. All the time. Buses are good in London. And did you did you have a nice Easter? That's I did. I did. Point. I did. The whole family came round. They wrecked my place and then they left. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, had a good time. Are you yeah. still finding little bits of chocolate or foil paper in the carpet sort of embedded in it? When they leave, I just kind of clear up everything, basically. It's like a bomb hit it. and then I just... The chocolate doesn't last long enough in my house for them to be any debris yeah they, they, they basically take all the chocolate they even took mine it was quite annoying but there you go and you know, oh. just like the hero one you know the the mint hero one yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mint, like mint chocolates oh it's like they left that in the fridge and that's the only one i've got left so i don't know whether i should chuck it or eat it but i just don't like it, it sounds like ian it was commandeered it was commandeered yeah <laughs> for your own good I've got a mini egg one in a way that they can't find. All oh, right, okay. I don't think there's many. There's been many historically in in British television terms, many Easter specials. I can think of only one other than the episode of Doctor Who that we're going to be talking about on the show, and that was the one where uh, Dawn French was the vicar of Dibley and yeah. got dressed up yeah, as yeah. the as the Easter Bunny. Yeah, yeah. Apart from that, yeah. Sarah, I can't think of any other. Easter specials in TV history ever. There must be some. I can't think of any. It's always Christmas. It's always Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, it's Christmas. It is always Christmas. Or New Year. New Year's Eve. Or New Year, yeah. And here in here in Doctor Who land, of course, we are always celebrating something. And this year I think we've got we've got a free pass because sixty is a big old number and it's the 60th anniversary year of Doctor Who. An ideal time, I thought, for us to go back through yeah, I won't quite say 60 bus stops worth but certainly in a uh, regeneration cycles worth of stops on the journey to take stock of all the incarnations of the doctor and some of if not their greatest adventures then certainly the ones that may get us talking and uh, when it comes to the to the doctors themselves sarah and and great britain you know the home of doctor who in my view David Tennant is, I won't say a, a national treasure, but he must be approaching that. So David Tennant inherited the, the role of the Doctor in 2005, and it was seemingly uh, overnight to a lot of us who were, who were there watching the rebirth of either our long-standing favourite show or our new favourite show, in, in your case. It was all about to take flight over that spring and into, into summer, but the truth of the matter was that David Tennant had been sounded out about succeeding Christopher Eccleston in the role late in 2004. So it was all sort of done and dusted by the time mm-hmm. it was back on telly yeah. during the time that he'd been working on, on Casanova with Russell T Davies, wasn't it? So, yeah, the 32-year-old actor, he was initially uh, very anxious about the idea of accepting the, the role of his own childhood hero, but... He needn't have worried, really. David Tennant proved to be the right man at the right time. And the nation took him into their hearts pretty much in an instant, didn't they, Sarah? It was, when you go back to 2005, it was, it was a ran, very random few months. Because I remember following the, the newspapers and the magazines that were coming out. Because, you know, I'd start reading it and the headline would be, oh, Doctor Who's back. And it's a success. And then the, I think it was literally the next day it was... Christopher Eccleston is leaving. Shock exit. And we already knew that his replacement was going to be David Tennant. And it was really weird to get my head around. Like, we've only just known this person 
playing the Doctor, and I, I mean, I already, I'd seen David Tennant in a couple of other things. I had seen him in Casanova. I can't remember, did Casanova come out mm. before Doctor Who? Or it was around time? the same time. I think it was, there was a week either side of the broadcast, something like that. But yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember that article, and I was like, oh, no. Well, I've, I've always thought... And you know, I know that David Tennant is a very good-looking man. He's got a, a legion of admirers out there, of men and women, both fans of the pants off this guy. To me, <laughs> I always thought he looked a little bit like a weasel. And, <laughs> and I loved him in Casanova. I, I, sincerely. In fact, everything. I'd seen him in numerous yeah, things. I loved, I loved him in Casanova, but I, I, I couldn't marry him as Casanova with you know what I was watching on screen with Chris Eccleston. I'd already yeah. got that fierce attachment to Chris and to Billy. I just said what the Brigadier said, here we go again. Do you know what mm. I mean? So it didn't it really was, affect me that much, you know? And it was an intense time, wasn't mm. it, Ian, yeah. to watch that show screen, to see the, to see it come back to life, people latch onto it, and then the, for the lead actor to change and to bring in somebody who was still large okay he's been in this big in this big drama but yeah. was still largely unknown i mean i went straight on to gallifrey base i think it was still outpost gallifrey days. then yeah and i posted i you know because i didn't know who read these things so i posted i can't believe they've gone with this guy he looks like a weasel and, and i did i did and then a few years later i read a story where yeah. david tennant had said you know oh when when i was cast as the doctor i went on to gallifrey base and i saw there was you know, there was numerous people saying, oh, he's one of my very favourite actors. I can't believe he's going to be the Doctor. And, and he was really, you know, he was really pleased, felt really sort of bolstered by that. And he, he said in this interview, and then I came across a comment from somebody who said, why have they gone with him? He looks like a weasel. And then he just wanted to curl up. And I thought, oh, my God, that was me. Infamy. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, Sorry, I think, David. Um, I think what you call it, I think... Um... Chris, Eccles Chris Eccleston's version of the Doctor mm. kind of worked towards the ending, but I really did. I don't know. I don't think the dynamic between Rose and him worked for me anyway. I thought the dynamic between Rose and David Tennant's Doctor worked so much better. And I, I know a lot of people don't like this. That mm. I, I really like the romance between uh, Rose and and it's not for everybody, is it? I know it's not for everybody. But I, 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 really I did. didn't mind it, but I obviously yeah. come into it as a newbie. It wasn't Ooh, a yeah. big deal to me. Yeah, yeah. But it felt earned because yeah. we'd seen them grow. And, yeah. and also, the Doctor's allowed to, 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 to just like human beings, the Doctor should be allowed to love, have that one person in his life that was the one that shook you know like 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 you know shook his heart and you know and he was connected to and it was rose i mean every other companion that he's been with that they've never affected him like rose has do you know what i mean and also remember that the, the doctor is a time lord so when he reaches a hundred in earth years he's probably only 15 do you know what i mean so he's kind of growing do you know what i mean so he's like what is it 200 years old here or 400 years old here so maybe he's just reaching teen do you know what i mean so we, we have to look at it that way that he's an alien and and the way he sees life is completely different to the way we we see yeah. see life do you, do you the know cycles I mean? so, of his life yeah. move differently mm. and his idea of personal growth would yeah. not necessarily be as linear yes as a human being's life yeah. i mean in, in all seriousness you know i i did say that and if if that was uh, my comment that david read obviously <laughs> so sorry david uh, because when i saw this initial publicity picture of david tennant with billy piper there as rose tyler and in his suit 
I got chills. I remember seeing Chris Eccleston in his costume for the first time and thinking, oh, okay, that's what they're going with. Oh, all right. And it grew on me. But but with this, I thought, oh, my God, the Doctor's back. That yes, I'm is saying. absolutely yeah. the Doctor stood there with his plucky companion. Yeah. He does. He does. I mean, and, and when I first saw, the I was picture, instantly back on board. Yeah. yeah, his his coat when he was wearing the, that picture of him and yeah, Billy when he was wearing the coat. I was like, that's definitely a doctor, right? I had a problem with with uh, Chris Eccleston. He, he looked like a, I don't know. He, he was okay. I accepted his costume, whatever. But I don't care what anyone says. The doctor has to have a freaking costume. I don't care what anyone says because that is what we grew up with. You know, mm-hmm. the frilly shirt, the scarf. You know the the multi you know whatever mm-hmm. do you know what i mean he has to have a look and i think david tennant is, is among one of the best you know before david tennant i i thought um uh, davison's costume was brilliant you know the cricket costume i thought that was brilliant and then david tennant came along and blew that out of the water do you yeah. know what i mean it's so, a very it's a similar silhouette obviously the the coat is longer. That was a stipulation, wasn't it, Sarah? He, he said to Russell when he accepted the job, look, if I'm taking this job, I want a big, long coat down yeah, to remember, there. I remember, yeah. I remember and, that and interview. <laughs> and, because, and obviously because David Tennant is not as tall as Russell T. Davis, but he's not far off. He's very tall, a very, very lean, a very athletic man. And so in, even without this long coat... The, and casting a sort of more foreboding shadow he is a lot more the traditional heroic figure not just than his predecessor but also than than the guy who would come after him too but mm-hmm. i believe that david tennant what he brought to his characterization as the as the doctor was a uh, as well as that heroism that he was able to tap into and the physicality of being a, a, a man in the prime of his life who was physically very, very capable. So he got that, but he got this natural quirkiness, a, a, a geekiness, for want of a better word, yeah. that, that he'd sort of, I, I suppose the person that he'd grown up being really, he was able to tap into his inner child and let that all off the leash. So you'd got a, a, a much more sort of comic book hero incarnation of the Doctor, maybe, he didn't but try to copy of, the others. No, not no. at all. He was full of full of charisma. And yes, he wasn't using his own native accent, obviously, because David Tennant is, is a Scot. That's a good idea. I think it was a very wise choice. Yes, it was. I think we have to acknowledge that it probably wasn't the easy choice, mm. but it was definitely no. the right one. But do you one see the, the difference character. between Chris and him? Chris was trying to be something that he wasn't. But David Tennant got it on day one, that the episode one he got his his kind of doctor down. Yeah. I remember when uh, it was so frustrating in Christmas Invasion when he's asleep for most of the yeah, episode. Most of the time, but, but the times when he was awake, you know, the mm. when he tells Jackie to shut up and he just yeah. looks at her that thing. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the old sword fight and the Lion King reference. Mm. It was genuinely really funny and you just couldn't help but warm to him. He's obviously, obviously, before he became the Doctor, he was a huge fan of Doctor Who. So he must have envisioned himself being the Doctor. Everyone has, yeah. me, you, Dan. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. he must have brought that vision that he had of himself, if he was the Doctor, to this. You know, and then yeah. when he was fully the Doctors, when he goes up to um, uh, the Prime Minister and, he, and you know, he says those, I can, I can stop you with four words or three words, I can't remember how many words he, he said. And that, that's, that was a Doctor to me. Well, it better. was better when he was in his... <laughs> When he got his own costume, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it did feel a bit like an imposter until the end when he says, yeah. Fantastic, yeah, 
to Rose at the end and holds yeah. her hand, and I thought, okay. Can you imagine somebody handing you, Sarah, the job, the part that you'd been playing in your maybe in your bedroom or the back garden or over the park with your friends since you were like seven, eight years old. Go, okay, here it is. What are you going to do with it? You can see why he would have been anxious, can't you? Well, yeah. Um, it daunting task, and he is a fan, so he knows what what had come before. But he took it seriously. Mm. As much you know, as much fun as it is, you know, however much as a fan and a geek he is, and he is is a serious actor. When he's playing the doctor, he's playing the doctor. He's not pretending. Yeah, you can exactly. tell the difference. Yeah. And as the tenth incarnation of the Doctor, he led Doctor Who through an astonishingly popular run, award-winning, headline-making era of Doctor Who that the nation flocked to in their millions. And yet there was a run of three series and several specials. And with with David Tennant's tenth Doctor right at the centre of it, he was one of the biggest, best-known faces on TV that uh, everybody seemed to love whether it was li- little kids or little old ladies everybody seemed to know who he was and flocked to that show to see david tennant do his thing and to play his childhood hero his way there's no way that he could have foresaw how successful it would be russell's work obviously would have given him a fair idea of, of where where to take it but his faith in him too that it was that it was in safe hands. I'd, I don't know, I'd love to know how much to and fro there was between them. I mean, I've always viewed this incarnation a little bit of a sort of Columbo type figure, but just with more product in his hair. He's, <laughs> he's part part sort of detective and part supply teacher. And at, at first glance, he is that classical, not so much swaggering hero. I think Eccleston got the swagger, but certainly the the running hero, breakneck speed but a classic symbol of what they called in the noughties, Sarah, geek chic. Do you remember, do you remember that expression, remember. geek yes. chic? <laughs> so this doctor, he's the first one who, yeah, for a lot of women, they meet him and they're all over him. Oh, Martha's eyes are practically out on stalks, aren't they? So a lot of women are instantly attracted to this guy, but yet he's outwardly geeky too. So uh, this doctor, this alien, he knows the lyrics to, to Ghostbusters, Ian. More to the point... He's not afraid to sing them back to you if you start it off. And that's not something that we'd seen with a character before, I think. An embracing of pop culture. And he knew Back to the Future as well. Mm -hmm. And he mentioned it in one one episode. So there you go. um, The thing about uh, David Tennant, as I said, right, I was was quite impressed with the first, uh, well, not the first episode, the, the episodes following... He, he is his own man. He doesn't try to copy. If you look at, say, for instance, you look at um, a Colin Baker. Um, I don't even talk to me about Sylvester. I don't know what doctor he was. But anyway, we, he was tr- he was basically coming up. I know. I know. People don't like any. Um, he was coming off the other. We're going to get you on the McCoy well. show. We're going to get you on that review. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I don't. I don't <laughs> against the man. I just didn't like the way he played the yeah. doctor. But that's what I'm just saying that if you look at Colin Baker and then you mm. look at the, the doctor before him. You know, they're, they're very much a, a type, aren't they? They're very much mm. a, 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 the, the, the classic doctor type. But David came in and he was gurning and he was shouting and you know what I mean? So he was his own thing, which is quite good. I think sometimes he was right on the cusp of yeah. perhaps over-egging it a little in what he was doing. But because he was clearly having so much fun with it, Sarah, because the character was having fun too. I think now and again we saw 
the ninth doctor have fun but not the way the tenth doctor does he has fun and he allows himself to you see him wallowing now and again mm. but generally speaking he he has fun i think the catchphrase the catchphrase allons-y which is never, I have to be honest, it's never really appealed to me. No, I, I always have to look it up and remind myself what it means. But it means, let's go. Why he doesn't just say let's go, I, I don't know. But I suppose, <laughs> but I suppose... Who's that these catchphrases? They're rubbish. <laughs> I like it. They're, they're from the mind of Russell T. Davies, I suppose, aren't they? <sighs> but when, when he's saying let's go, allons-y. Because yeah. every time he does do that, you know, so all, invariably, the stakes are... Up really really high and probably as bad as they could possibly get so it's as if every time he he says let's go what what i feel he could be saying is you know just let go of your doubts your fears and plunge headlong into this and use everything within your power to to bring this to a satisfactory conclusion to save as many lives as you can have as much fun as possible and to give the people watching the best really? of times and that's what I feel. And that's what I feel about this. I, I'm. I am not joking when I talk Who about did? the Russell. When I talk about the Russell T Davies era, yeah. this is my favourite era of the show. I just get it, or it gets me. It's exactly in line with how I view this character and view this universe. So I do get a bit gushy when it comes to it because this incarnation of the Doctor Sarah, he's having more fun on the outside, but he forgets that he never dealt with his s from before i think that's a, that's also a theme because now and again it it catches up with him and that's yeah. when you see how good an actor david tennant really is yeah and and i love those moments when the mask slips he can be really unassuming and i mean matt smith played on it even more because he went for like the trouting bumbling oh i'm an idiot but i'm really a genius um, but david used to do it as well but then suddenly it it'd go from just laughing and being happy-go-lucky to just dark. Um, you know, the one that always sticks out to me is uh, Family of Blood. Yeah. The power mm. it's got, because I don't think it was actually really addressed in the new way before that. We kind of know that he's, mm. Time Lords are powerful, but it's kind of just him on his own. Yes, we know he's clever, he's resourceful, he's witty. Um, but seeing you know what he can actually do if you do cross him, it's uh, it was really eye-opening, and you know the fact that he'd hidden away to protect them, and you kind of it, it was a real like Eccleston in Dark. It was a real like sit up and take. But you notice. can you can understand why he ran away because oh, he, yeah, yeah, he didn't absolutely. want to be like the, the he didn't time want lords. To you be can the... imagine the Time Lords. A judge, jury, and executioner as well. Mm -hmm. If they want to be, they have too much power, and that's and and in my in my head, canon, this mm -hmm. is the reason why he ran away. He did not want to be like them. He is the mm -hmm. one time lord that didn't want to be all powerful, all consuming. You know, he he really did give it to them at the end. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. With no remorse whatsoever. So that that just goes to show what he could have been if he stayed at, stayed at in Gallifrey. So. Simon Horton often talks about the 10th Doctor, Ian, and he says that uh, during this era, as, and I think that he enjoys, enjoys it to some respects, but he's not a major fan. And the reason that he gives is that he, fe he feels that the character of the 10th Doctor is exactly the same in The Christmas Invasion as he is at the, at the conclusion, at the end of time, that the character never 
alters, never develops at all. And is that, it, uh, no, that's and not true. I think that no. I, well, I was thinking, I was wondering what what he means by that. And I've asked, yeah. I've spoken to Simon about this several times, and I yeah. think he's right in that David Tennant's choices in bringing the character to the screen remain largely the same. There's a few surprises now and again, but I I do think that the character evolves. I think it's there on the page, and David Tennant enjoys himself exploring that material, and and so therefore so do we. Yeah. But the, the, the thing is that he's the Dave Ten is only he can only be the doctor uh, the doctor what's written on the page he can only be mm-hmm. that what's written on the page you know what I mean so it wasn't it was it's not David Tennant's fault if if um if Simon thinks he hasn't developed I personally think he did develop he went from uh, Chris Lexton doctor to being in love to to having that great loss of losing his love and then right across the board to trying to avoid regenerating um being angry that his song is is ending so he's gone from I he's gone so from too. being you know this 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 powerful person that was in love to the point where he thinks he hasn't done enough it's a bit sweet ending for for the 10th doctor because the 10th doctor thought he he didn't do enough um and so uh you know by default he has developed we're, we're chatting about one particular instalment of the 10th Doctor's era on this edition of the show, something that came quite late in that run. So yeah, there'd been, there'd been those three full series and then that set of specials. At the time, this seemed like it, it was unprecedented and a TV series that was at the, the height of its popularity and an actor at the height of his powers in what appeared to be the role of a lifetime. I remember there was a lot of bewilderment out there from the British public saying, you know, that they're taking this off now? Right now, really, for all this time, this is all that we're going to get. We were served an Easter special. That's what we're going to get stuck into on this edition of the show. So that's coming up in a couple of minutes. But in the meantime, if you'd like to do some real time traveling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice if you know where to look. There's a whole continuum's worth of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists and some pretty awesome guests. In fact, we know there's something for every fan over at type40.podbean.com. More about that a little later on, as well as that window where we will make contact with that matrix of all knowledge we call the Fandom Podcast Network. Kev's waiting, primed, with lots of news about all the other treats for the ears that are on offer from all the other shows in the FPN family. So listen out for that later. Okay, so we're, we're all aboard. The shop is out of out of eggs. Well, I've got some cashew nuts kicking about here as we get stuck into this. It could be a bumpy ride. We'll see when we get stuck into our review of Planet of the Dead. Okay, so here we are. This is the episode Planet of the Dead. I hadn't seen this for years. I've watched it this week. Unfortunately... Our starry-eyed girl, Sarah Graham, she's on hand with a quick reminder for you, guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, so just to jog your memory, the blurb is, when a London bus takes a detour to an alien world, the Doctor must join forces with the extraordinary Lady Christina. But the mysterious planet holds terrifying secrets hidden in the sand, and time is running out as the deadly swarm gets closer. Ooh. Ooh, this is the bit where we go. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. 
So, yeah, this was the second of those five special episodes of Doctor Who that were broadcast between Christmas 2008 and New Year's Day 2010. Wow, that seems like such a long, long time ago. Uh, Planet of the Dead was broadcast on the 11th of April 2009 on BBC One and BBC HD. It was the first episode of Doctor Who that was made in HD. I think they'd made Torchwood. I think Torchwood had always been made in HD. They hadn't tested it out as such, but they, I think they didn't feel confident enough. This one stars here, David Tennant as the Doctor, with special guest star Michelle Ryan as Lady Christina. At the time, Ian, Michelle Ryan was one of the best-known faces on British TV as well, wasn't she? I wouldn't say she'd grown up on television, but she'd been tremendously successful, hadn't she, on EastEnders? She was an EastEnders. Um, I can't remember who she played. I never watched EastEnders. Zoe remember, Slater. Yeah, I, I remember, remember Zoe Slater. Yeah, I remember looking at her, thinking she was a she's a handsome handsome woman. And then I remember watching. Um, I can't remember what channel it was at the time because uh, you know channel, uh, streaming things had just started or was on the cusp of it. And I remember her being cast as the Bionic Woman, a remake of That's the Bionic right. Woman in in the states and. Um, it only went for one season because it, it really didn't do very well. But uh, she was, you know, her, her acting had uh, had gotten better in this uh, American she was version. In, uh, Jekyll yeah. as well. Yeah. Muffet, I remember yeah. watching yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Six years on EastEnders playing Zoe Slater. They really put the character through the ringer there. And as you say, she, she's gone on to, to great success. She's never really been off stage or television, and she's done. I think she was in Merlin on the BBC for a few she years. She was, yeah. Role. Baddie. She yeah, she played did that Baddie. Jekyll and Hyde show. Yeah, so she's done. People say she's the kind of actress where people say whatever happened to Michelle Ryan. But I think if you if you're asking that, you've not been paying enough attention. I think she is she is out there. But I think yeah, she seems to have had quite a nice career doing lots of different parts, which I suppose is what any actor really wants to do. Ideally, you, know, you want to you want to get out there and play as many characters as possible, rather than the same old, same old, same old. Mm-hmm. And this story was written by by Gareth Roberts and Russell T Davis. So this is the first time in the revived series we had a pair up of writers contributing to the script. So Gareth Roberts, he'd started out writing Doctor Who novels, then multiple episodes of the TV show under uh, just himself on his own. Right. And he wrote for the Sarah Jane Adventures too, but he was also a soap opera writer. He wrote for comedy series too. He wrote scripts for, for The Fast Show and A Swiss Tony, that kind of spin-off mm. from that. So this is a man who's been around for quite a long time. So here he was writing with Russell T. Davies on a very different story. I think the stories he'd written up to now had been kind of historical. So The Unicorn yes. and the Wasp was one of his and The Shakespeare Code. So it had all been along a similar, similar lines. This was almost the complete opposite of that and it was written it was so it was, yeah it was written by Gareth Roberts and Russell T Davis and directed by James Strong so it's one of seven episodes directed by James Strong who uh, became better known i think for his work on Broadchurch he was nominated for a BAFTA best director BAFTA for Bro- for Broadchurch in 2015 and uh, directed things like Harbour City and Doctors and some Torchwoods as well so James Strong's been around for quite a while as well this episode's got a, a distinctive look. As I say, I think it's different to anything Gareth Roberts had done otherwise, Ian. It's, um, th- there's a, a lot in it, and yet there's not very much in it at all. You think there's, there's very, very few characters. And yet when you look at the story and what it's, what it's doing, Sarah, for an hour's worth of TV on the BBC on a bank holiday Monday, it's quite a tall order it has to deliver, isn't it? Pacing's 
really well done. Uh, it, it just flies through, um, you know, scene after scene. And, I, I, and yeah, it's. I always think this would have made a quite a good Christmas special. It's got that, you know, that that romp, that adventure, and you know, you got the high spit at the beginning with Christina. And you know, just something a little bit different to draw you in. I always like the the pre credit credit sequences. Um but yeah, you've got you know, you've got the you've got aliens, you've got bug eyed monsters, you've got <laughs> wormholes, Flies. you've got guns, uh yeah, you've got Lee Evans, <laughs> you've got you see you've got the comedy, you've got Michelle Ryan as the sexy, sassy companion, and she's very um she reminds me a bit like of kind of like Romana, you know. She's kind of kind of got that elitist yeah. kind of, you know, something completely different to you know what we'd had before, and um, and then you know at the end, we we get that little hook into you know what's going to lead us into Your the next specials. It's about that, to that end. Mystery. Well, yeah, you got a bit I, of everything. They really did make a big deal about getting Michelle Ryan for this because, as I say, people were very, very fond of her. Very beautiful, very charismatic woman. And in this episode, they, they give her a really juicy part to play. And as you say, you've got the, the initial opening sting where the character of Lady Christina D'Souza is seen uh, raiding the, na the Natural History Museum there, which was actually... Now, you may find this difficult to believe, Ian, but that wasn't the Natural History Museum that they <laughs> really? were. Really? It was, it was Cardiff. <laughs> it was the National Museum of Cardiff. Yeah, stra strangely enough. But uh, when I watch this, I haven't seen this in a number of years. I, I think that when I look back through the episode list of, of which episodes are which and which I've watched the most, of all the David Tennant stuff, this is right at the bottom. I think it's partly because it's not part of a series. What I tend to do when I get into a into a run of Doctor Who is I watch everything that was on in a particular year, and this sort of sits outside of all of that. Exactly. Shadowed by Waters of Mars, definitely, and obviously the regeneration, and and you know, and what came before the next Doctors, we had all that you know a few months of Russell trolling us with a potential you know, replacement for David Tennant, because obviously at that point we knew he was going, and we thought, oh, is David Morris going to be the new Doctor? And there was all that, and yeah, this kind of just gets... And it was all it was all in the media, though, wasn't it, Sarah? Yeah. So the media was preoccupied with, with either what had come before or what was coming afterwards. Mm -hmm. So this sitting there at Easter, it's quite in inconspicuous, but I have to say that pressing play on this just... On the night, again, now all these years on, it's just, okay, I'm going to have my fix of an hour's worth of Doctor Who. I'm going to get wrapped wrapped up in this story for this hour, for what it is. I immediately just fell into it and and the momentum of it. You know, I, I, felt, I just found it really, really engaging. The character of the 10th Doctor, again, this isn't any great innovation on what we'd seen, what we'd seen before or what we'd see afterwards. But this is the character as I remembered it, you know, holding some big dopey gadget in his long coat, flirting, but yet not flirting, not seemingly aware that he's flirting and being quite stoic at certain points. Tennant can just tap into that instantly. He can do those handbrake turns and with a supporting cast of characters who I just really, really liked. So you mentioned Lee Evans earlier on. We'll, we'll come to him later on. But there was also uh, Noma Dumawenzi, 
as Captain Magambo. So there was, there was her too. There was Victoria Alcock. She was playing Angela Whitaker. David Ames is in it as Nathan. We've got Ellen Thomas playing Carmen. Reginald Tazebo plays Lou. Daniel Kaluuya plays Barclay. And Keith Parry plays the bus driver, who may not stick around. <laughs> he's, got sort of, he's got sort of arrow fodder. Painted across his belly, practically yeah, from the start. He's, he's a red shirt, isn't he? <laughs> a red uh, shirt, that's it. How, how gruesome was that death? <laughs> a lot more gruesome than I remember it being. <laughs> he literally bursts into... We see his sort of flesh sizzle and everything, don't we? Because the bus yeah. driver, he's... Oh, I'm not having this when the bus is taken away to an alien world. You know, what's my gaffer going to say? It's the whole Jolly Boys out in Fools and Horses thing. What's, what's my gaffer going to say about this? Mm-hmm. So he, he decides to jump back through the, the hole, doesn't he? The space vortex thing. And gets fried right in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't laugh. But it's a nice little part. It's a, these are memorable Doctor Who deaths, I think, Ian. And, and when Doctor Who's working properly, it's bumping people off like that in a non a non horrific way. I think this is kind of borderline. But this okay. is the kind of thing that sends the kids sends the kids behind the sofa or when they go to bed. It, it just stays with them for just that little bit. Just that little bit. <laughs> I do like the guest stars. I like the guy um, from Get Out. Um, he was in it, wasn't he? Um, the yeah, that's guy. right. That's that's yeah. Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He he was quite good and fantastic actor. Um, and Lee, Lee Evans, as far as I'm concerned, is a genius. And when it comes to comedy, and I actually laughed out loud when I first saw this episode yeah. with him. <laughs> and quite well, frankly, I was disappointed when they replaced him with um the girl. The I can't remember the girl's name. It was obvious that. No, was I know who you mean in a, yeah, in a later in yeah. a later oh, era. I think it's easy yeah. to forget now quite how popular Lee Evans was. Him appearing yeah. in this in two thousand and nine was mm. kind of towards the end of a career. Lee Evans is now retired, but he certainly throughout the nineties he was easily the most popular, high profile, and I'd say the highest earning stand up comedian in Britain. He was absolutely huge, wasn't he? He was packing them in a really really big name who appeared in hollywood movies and he decided in the end he decided to pack it all in for the family life this was one of his later roles really he's, he's about 60 years of age now and he, he rarely works i think he does the our charity gig now but it's lovely to see him in this having so much fun in such a memorable character well, i think that well ian there's something actually hmm. you're a guy who you cast actors and things on on your productions there's often a phrase that I hear said is that there are no there are no small parts, only small actors. <laughs> and again, you mentioned earlier on uh, the the guy from Get Out, Daniel Kalula here playing Barkley. Yeah. He doesn't save it. He's only in a handful of scenes, but we know instantly who that character is. And, and yeah, Russell's great at writing parts like that. But it's the actor too, isn't it? He knows exactly yeah, what he's going to. Yeah, he, you know, he, he kind of chewed his scenery, didn't he? <laughs> you know, I mean, he made it work for himself. But just talking about um, Lee Evans, there's a story that um, they uh, they um, they were so enamoured with him. The Americans they told him to just go and write a script and they'll finance it. And really? so, um, yeah, so Lee Evans went in the hotel room and he sat there and he was there for days and he couldn't think of anything. And then he rang his wife and he said, "You know, look, you know, I'm sitting here. I don't know what to write." And his wife said to him, "What do you want to do?" And he said, "I want to come home." And she said, "Come home then." And that's and that's the end. That that he, he drew the line under Hollywood. And that was it. Apparently, that's a true story. When he was at the top of yeah. his game, yeah. he just couldn't no, find a reason to to stay there. Do you know? Because I mean? remember, he made films like 
uh, was it the mouse thing, you know, with those big stars mouse in it? And, yeah, mouse oh, class. Yeah. He was in, um, uh, what is it, uh, uh, Mary? What is it? What's that one called? Um, something about Mary. Something about Mary. He was he was huge. He was on top of his Cameron game. Diaz. And mm. at that point, he decided that he didn't want it anymore and he preferred his family. So, I mean, you know, good on him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so. God bless him for that. In and this, he plays, he plays Professor Malcolm Taylor, yeah. who's a unit scientist who is uh, in awe of of the doctor, he seems to be sort of following his work a mm -hmm. little in his footsteps, I suppose. He's a, another scientific advisor kind of character, but he also mm -hmm. serves as a a foil for Captain Magambo. So this is yeah. Noma Mwenza. Yeah. She's back playing a character she'd initially played in Turn Left, and she develops. And Turn Left is a that's a heavy episode. It's certainly a lot is. heavier, a lot heavier than this, isn't it, Sarah? Mm -hmm. But her character develops quite a lot in this story and the pairing of her with Malcolm Taylor with Professor Malcolm Taylor that is really charged isn't it because we see them they've got a very nice working relationship you know he's the quirky one she's the no-nonsense one but he shows where his line lines in the sand are where she tells him okay you know you can't help the doctor anymore he's on his own well Malcolm that wasn't the reason the reason was that um look she has to protect the planet earth and if the if the doctor is saying that this is coming, might as well shut the thing down now. Um, no, that's that's her. exactly what I'm saying. So yeah, you know, so she got her lines in the sand, her duty, yeah, exactly. and he got what he viewed as as his duty and where he was yeah. placing his faith. And this yeah. is what I love about Doctor Who, Ian. And, and this is something I think that the best of science fiction does. Original Star Trek did this all the time, and mm. TNG, yeah. and that they'd they'd show you that the two the two people on screen, they'd illustrate their positions. The situations they were in, and placed you in their sh in both their shoes. You, what you know? So what call would I make? Is he right or is she right? Is she is she wrong or is he wrong? And it leaves you with that hanging in the air to the moment where where Captain Magambo pulls a gun mm, yeah. on on Taylor, and and it makes you in, in such a breezy romp like this because that's what this is. is it? It's a caper. It's a romp. It's romancing the stone. It's it's that kind of it's that kind of movie done for TV. But to get a moment like that in the middle of something like this, played by two great actors, there's real I think there's real power in that. I think uh, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, <laughs> but um, <laughs> for a family I, I, show, I'm talking no, about I, relative, yeah, in relative I don't know, terms. I don't know. Um, I, I see Doctor Who very obviously very different. It's not, to you it's guys. not training day. <laughs> I'm not saying this is something. You know, I'm not saying this is like heavy, heavy. But we're talking about this is a kid, this is a kid show. This is families. Yeah, I know that. But as I said, even I still will say this to my dying day mm. until they change it. Doctor Who still needs to grow up it really does because <laughs> kids are far more intelligent than we ever were i don't think it's a question of being intelligent and i think it's a i think it's a question of, of knowing where knowing where your boundaries are and catering to all kinds of different kids the I'm kind not, of kids yeah, who the kind of kids who may play call of duty to yeah. to entertain them but also the kids who maybe don't watch or, or yeah, read anything saying, else that's geeky yeah, to, then, to reach them. It's as mainstream a show as you could possibly yeah, get. Know, so it, it can only grow up so far. I personally think this, this hits yeah, everything. Dan, I'm not saying they should they should show violence and all that. I, I know what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that... The, 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 I think the, this has really grown up. I, I don't know. The, the style of the show... Um, like, for instance, the main problem I had with this, even when I was first watching it, 
and even oh god there we go ian's got <laughs> one <laughs> when i was first watching and even watching it now was the music i hated the music they have a disco music when she's when she's trying to get the when she's coming down on the wire in the beginning and i'm like and i'm sitting there i'm going like now there's four guards and they're not facing the prize what the hell is that all about <laughs> why are they do you know what i mean that's what i mean it needs to grow up it needs to well, take they... the, it, um, the logical um thing inside what they're doing and make it logical why would I think you have four guards i think i think there's something the when i describe when i describe the like Russell, when i describe yeah. the the 10th doctor and the russell t davis era was comic booky earlier on yeah, uh, this is this is than this. This is <laughs> no, but they no, but no, but they are illustrated on on the page. Mm. They are broad. I think there's something of the Looney Tunes about oh, Russell you? T. Day, the Russell oh, T. Davis no. era, and to to a lesser extent the Stephen Moffat era, where mm. where you think, oh, don't go there. Look, look, it's behind you. They're behind you. They're coming. I, know, I, I think don't... that's a. I really? think, and I, I think it's all, and I think it's all absolutely deliberate. The music, the music cues, the music no. cues, the, the choices of Murray Gold. Yeah, I'm Sarah's a, ma Sarah's a massive fan. No, but I, I know, I think, it, can, it can do no, no wrong with me. In what, in what you're honing in on there, though, is yeah. actually a staple of a lot of nor of naughty's telly. I think this is getting to the point now where it's TV from a past age, which yeah, does look more conspicuous now, Sarah. I think you're wrong because when you look at the Americans stuff mm. of, of sci-fi, they didn't have disco music. Oh, they did. Tense scene. <laughs> right, like, like, for instance, Doctor Who, they knew when they look back at this, they knew that music was wrong because when you watch the, um, the what you yeah. call it, the, uh, the Matt Smith's ones, the music had improved. Murray Gold was improving as he went along. Recently, oh, that, recently, that's, Ian. That's a stylistic choice, though, because I remember an interview uh, with another Murray disco and he was music? saying that <laughs> uh, Stephen uses silence much yeah, yeah, more. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I think in the RTD era, there is this thing of yeah. it's not exactly a musical, but it's like there's everything's got a musical. A music, yeah, yeah. I yeah. yeah. For me, I mean, I'm probably reading too much into it. It was all about Christina. She's stealing, but she's doing it because she's an adrenaline junkie. It's the adventure. Still wrong, though. Just, so the thing was like, oh, I'm having a good time rather than the. That's how I view it. That's how I view it as well. It's almost that's as so if wrong. It's, it's almost <laughs> as if up to a point she's playing. I think this character plays the odds. I think she's deliberately daring. I think that her life as an as an aristocrat or whatever she's supposed to be, because again, she's a very comic book character. She's Sil Silver Sable, for example, in in uh, Marvel Comics or Catwoman in, in DC Comics. It's really quite broad. For all that I've said about this era and of this time, this, this era of the show means the world to me because of the age that my children were. You know, this, this was at the height of its popularity. They were m maximum invested in this in collecting the Battles in Time cards, all of that. So it was, a, it was a real cultural event. But having said that, this was also the first time that I've been back to new series Doctor Who and been aware of not just that music and costume choices, deliberate choices, I maintain they did that deliberately, are products of their time, but I was also aware for the very first time how cheap it looked. It did look really, really cheap. What are you really talking cheap. about the masks? No, I mean, <laughs> I mean the, the production values. Oh, so okay. I'm talking generally. So sets were really quite small. Mm. Uh, costumes were nicely put together, 
but perhaps not elab- not as elaborate as they would be now. They're not augmented in the same way that they would be now a decade and a half mm. on. I think the lighting too has a kind of noughties look to it. The colour palette, everything looks of a certain time. For example, when the bus when the bus uh, goes through the vortex, they all they really do is yeah. what the original series of Star Trek had been doing yeah. since the sixties. They shake the camera around, they shake <laughs> the bus around, they shake the actors around. Nothing else really happens, and right. yet you get totally invested in it, totally wrapped up in it. And but as I say, this is the first time because things have come on so much for television in the time in between. This is the first time that I've gone back to a new series episode. I thought, okay, now I see why some people, Ian mainly say oh this was still so this was still so cheap i didn't see this as cheap at the time but i do understand now you can see its budgetary limits now in a way that i probably couldn't before it wasn't so bad um the, the production value wasn't so bad it was it was the way you know i mean obviously they're out on the, on the street when they're in on earth and they're in the sand dune when they're in another planet um, the the sets for the uh, the bug people weren't weren't very impressive at all. It's like they just threw everything, you know, and whatever sticks sticks. You know what I mean? It was just a bit rubbish. But I mean, this set was quite good. I thought with um, with uh, Lee Evans, I thought was quite good. And I love the idea he has his um, fingerless gloves as, as well. Oh, yeah, so I think added yeah. added to his character and stuff like that. And well, in my in know, my view, in my yeah. view, that kind of character, Sarah. It's for all that I said that it's comic booky. It's not. It's not too much. It's not cosplay. Oh no! It's, and you know, and it, it's got his serious moments as well. I mean, it's a proper character. It's a rounded character. Yeah. You know, when he gets that gun pointed at him, mm. he's scared, but he, he's yeah. got his principles and he's standing up for them. He's and... willing to die for the doctor. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, yeah there's, there's real power in that. And mm. uh, uh, the actress who plays Captain Magambo. She, mm. Noma Dumawenza, a British actress. She won Easy in 2006. Use, in 2006, she won the Laurence Olivier Award in uh, for best performance in a supporting role. That mm. was for a stage role that she had. And in recent years, she's won another Laurence Olivier Award as best actress for her role as Hermione Granger in that run of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So, and she took that role to Broadway as well. So. I was trying to. I looked at her and I thought, I know I've seen her in other things, but I couldn't quite place her. I wonder what she's done since. And she has gone on to to great success. And Lee Evans has, has gone into retirement. So it's the, the strangest thing. And some of oh, the other actors too, as you say, what uh, the guy who's gone into into Get Out and Victoria mm-hmm. Alcock too. She'd been in Bad Girls for a, f- a few years. I think she's yeah. been in EastEnders too. So just nice actors in good parts. And they know their they know which end of the of the deal is theirs. They know their characters inside out. All adds colour to the thing. I love the old couple sat there on the bus together, you know, they're probably eating a pack of digestive Sarah Way. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of we all know a couple like that, don't they? Just really relatable sort of arts yeah. and uncles or grandparent types. And, that, and the, these broad strokes, this is what I like about the Russell T. Davis era because they're characters that everybody says, you know, I know those people, I recognise those people, I went to school with them, or they live next door, or do you see what I'm saying? This is why it chimes with me. It does, and also the again, just another brilliant component of the temp doctor is for how much alien he is, 
he takes time with you know with the little people with the humans you know and he's sat and they're all despondent and he sits them all down and says you know what what have you got waiting for you at home what are you looking forward yeah. to well, pork chops and gravy and and he remembers all these little details remembers the names and it yeah it, and it's so human and and so touching and again it's just another wonderful element to it because he did it, it you know some doctors weren't like that some doctors just went off yeah i'm going to save the world you just sit there and shut up i'm going to sort it out i suppose and, that all the doctors could probably read people like that but some hmm. of them are some of them are content to keep it to themselves and think okay well i won't handle this situation like that whereas others the more the more humanistic the ones that are more interested in people are going to use that that skill set to resolve the situation and to just make people feel better. Again, and it's just a, a a wonderful, relatable thing because we would like to think that we'd all be cool going on an adventure, but most of us would be. You know, you can see the panic in their eyes. And <laughs> and obviously when the bus driver is killed, think okay, dramatically why that works so well is because one of the other characters has to sort of become empowered to get behind that wheel you know we can get we can invest in somebody else and will her to to succeed when things start to get get worse and worse and worse and worse you mentioned earlier on in the the, mm. the aliens the bug-eyed monsters in the in the boiler suits the tritivores they, they're fun characters aren't they they're more anthropomorph anthrop i was no <laughs> i knew i was going to struggle that with that anthropomorph <laughs> okay <clears throat> Take five. They're bugs. Anthropomorphizing mm. animals into human form. Russell T. Davis did a lot of that too. We've yeah. got cats, we've got rhinos. Yeah. Here we have instincts, in insects. <sighs> Here we have insects. It's a nice shorthand because when I think of insects, you think of fussy little creatures, kind of like Jawas in Star Wars, that busy themselves doing bits and bobs. And I do wonder, is because obviously they're in the desert as well. Could that have been part of it? A lot of the press surrounding this, I don't know if you remember this, focused on the fact that the, the scenes in the desert were filmed in Dubai. I think the trip to Dubai with the bus, I think they'd got two buses. They'd got yeah. a stunt bus and an actual bus. And uh, so they, they did this. So shipping this bus off to Dubai and doing this location filming, which does look spectacular. I think that's where most of the, most of the cash may have gone, Ian. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, I, as I said, I did enjoy this episode. There, are, I said, there's loads Loved of things it. that I, <laughs> I, I obviously didn't like, um, and and still to this day, I still think Doctor Who needs to correct. But um, you know, it was it was enjoyable as far as I was concerned. David Tennant was, you know, was was David Tennant as always as as the Doctor. But for me, the highlight is Lee Evans. I think Lee Evans stole the show, in my opinion. He did, didn't um, he? He did, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. He was very funny and, you know, the Malcolms thing, you know, 12 Malcolms and stuff like that. That was really funny as well. Really well written, in fact. I don't know if that came from, from Moffat or the other guy, but 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 um, it's, it's I found it very funny. And also, he wasn't a dope either because he was the one that came with the solution to a, a yes. particular problem for for David Tennant. So, I always liked good. that character, Ian, but mm. he stood out far more for me watching it this time. Yeah. Do you think that's because? Do you think that's because I my tastes have changed and what I latch onto has changed? 
Or do you think it's because in the meantime, we've seen a lot of characters that are quite similar to Malcolm Taylor, done quite badly. And so to see a character like this played with a, with a lot of layers is a bit of a novelty now. I don't know. I, I obviously this is um this is stunt casting as some people put it, but it's very Perhaps. good casting because, yeah. as I said, you know, he, he, to me he stole immediately when he turned around and it was Lee Evans. I thought, oh, Lee Evans, how how great is that? And then he did he delivered. You know, the lines that he said, that the stuff that he the way he was performing was quite funny. You know, the bit where he's going, you know, he's trying to talk to him. He's gone. He's gone. Okay, he's gone. He puts the phone down. I thought that was quite amusing stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? And 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 um, Michelle Ryan was you know easy for the eyes for this episode which is which is quite cool i think Doc, doctor who's always had that thing about you know good looking the eyes stuff. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i just i just think that this episode was was really good the only things that let it down in my opinion was the music and some of the visual effects as you say um dan some of the so maybe some of the production values were a bit lower but uh, but obviously you just said it that they they spent a lot of money going to Dubai you know with the bus and stuff like that so that maybe took a big chunk of the of, of the budget you know so they really you know. did and it was yeah. I wouldn't say it was a disaster but mm. uh, I I think it's quite well known that the bus sustained severe severe damage mm. uh, when a crane <laughs> accidentally dropped a container a shipping container mm. onto the bus. At, yeah. uh, at the port in Dubai City. So the, the production team had an emergency discussion and yeah. they agreed that the damage was uh, unintentionally artistic and that it could be included yeah. into the plot of the episode rather than spending the extra money shipping yes. the spare yeah, bus yeah. that they'd got from, yeah. from Cardiff. They decided to basically to go with it. I think they beat parts of it back into position but included the damage into the story and you know it's one of those things now as fans you know we know that these things happened but it's only when you're you're in the know about little facts like that sarah that they're ever in your head the average audience viewer then or now is not gonna know or care are they and it works i actually think it would look weird for the bus to arrive pristine yeah also um there was nobody at sitting at the top that bus was very sparse let's face it come on <laughs> considering yeah. they were supposed to be i mean maybe for cardiff yeah but for london yeah, yeah you could you could be right <laughs> london would be full wouldn't it i mean you know just at the top people would have been dead at the top yeah. wouldn't they so but you know i mean it, it, it is a fantasy show and it is doctor who you know doctor who is full of inconsistencies as far as i'm concerned you just have to go with it, but it never spoilt my enjoyment watching it. That's the oh, no. that's the bottom line. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's it's it's. I I still think Doctor Who is riding high here, and, and it's a shame, really, because I think I think she would have made a good companion um, for for the Doctor. Obviously, he was he was coming to the end of his um his 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 era, I guess. Um, but it's a shame they introduced her at this later date because she could have been quite good. Uh, Michelle companion. Ryan looks looks like she's having the time of her life, doesn't she? She look, she looks sort of thrilled to be there. I think, Ian, like she's having a brilliant time. I don't think any of them had the time of their life. I mean, it must have been really hot where they were. Yeah, um, you know. True. I mean, he's wearing a he's wearing a suit for God's sakes, and she's wearing, wearing she's all leather. dressed in black. Yeah, <laughs> she's all dressed in black. So it's got it, yeah. it, you know it must have been hell trying to shoot that definitely. 
then again, craft services would have been nice to them as well. They would have had loads of cold drinks and crap yeah. like that. But, but you know, you, you know, if you're like me, right, and it's a hot day, in the morning you're you're, you're you've got you're full of you're full of beans. Well, come the afternoon, you all you want to do is sleep. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I'm just I'm just thinking. David probably wanted it. Oh, I've got to go to sleep. It's too yeah. hot, man. Yeah. So I, I remember that. feeling frustrated that she wasn't gonna carry on. It, it felt like mm. a missed opportunity. Yes, if, what I thought. That's what I thought. Were, if it had carried on another season, yeah, how fun would it have been to see these two? And also, she's as again, you know, I'd say this again. She's easy on the eye, and that's one of the that's one of those tropes of the Doctor, the Doctor Who thing, isn't it? That they had companions that were good looking, and and you know, for the male audience, obviously, obvious it's for the male audience, and you know, and and um, that was the trait. So she would have made a good companion, as far as I was concerned. But and, then and again, you know, she was already developing because mm. you know she was pretty selfish, just doing yeah. things for herself, and yeah. then you know. The doctor has to persuade her to give up that, what, yeah. that golden cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he starts banging yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. uh, and you know she starts to see you know doing stuff. Also, that, that that diamond that they had in the middle of the thing, he didn't need it. He chucked it away. She could have just picked that up and that. No. You know, she yeah, they needed you know. the they needed the clamps. Yeah, to yeah. fix them to the bus to make yeah. it fly to get them home, rather yeah. than the diamond. The diamond itself. Initially, yeah. Lady Christina, she wasn't even in the original drafts for the story oh, okay. it was going to be a big a big space opera about a, a giant war it was going to feature the chelonians who were a race of characters of tortoises of, i'm not going to try and say that word that again a race of humanoid of humanoid tortoises right. that gareth roberts created for the new adventures books back in the 90s they were long-standing doctor who characters in the literature oh, it was going to in include them and so the idea was it was going to feature them in a star trek pastiche about an outer space hotel with guests disappearing and things like that and so it, it ended up being being this very very different with lady christina there just like you say i think that i could have stood yet to see this character carry on but again that's the beauty of this era practically every story includes a character you kind of want to see more of you know this is one interlude for the doctor but i got the impression that lady christina had had several adventures before and almost certainly would afterwards and you've got that policeman who's sort of following her around who seems like he's it was all a bit sort of dick dastardly it's like oh i nearly got her this time reminds me of a mcgee from the incredible hulk show ian you know he's yeah. the copper who's always on her tail and that could be it could be a series sarah it could be a series now i'd probably watch that she's doing big finish i don't know if it's i don't i could what i think i could watch you know like a detective thing like a heist thing, but I don't know whether I'd like. I'd, would it translate onto Big Finish? I don't know. Her accent's very RP, isn't it? In this, because when you look yeah. at her in EastEnders, her accent's completely different. She's, she's this, Cockney yeah. in that. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. I suppose the important part of of this of this relationship is the point that it takes the Doctor to. So another powerful moment that we get in this, right at the at the end, pretty much is uh, she assumes that she's going along for a ride in the TARDIS once they yeah. get back to Earth safely through the, the wibbly, wobbly, wobbly Stargate thing. So she just walks up to the TARDIS and says, okay, in, in we go. And, and the Doctor is absolutely firm that he will never take another companion on board the TARDIS. And, and when she asks him why, he says, it's because he's lost all the, all the previous ones. Mm -hmm. And... This is what I mean about David Tennant's acting choices there. Yes, technically, technically the character is the same, 
but this is the kind of depth that wouldn't have been po have been possible just a couple of seasons before because a line like that wouldn't have had the same power i mean you know people who've been watching since the classic series may, may feel that way say oh yeah you know he lost adric he lost tiga he lost leela you know, he but, lost the tardis but, um, <laughs> but you see what i'm saying in the in that in that era at that cultural time we'd followed this character for four series Remind me, Dan, what did he? What companion did he lose up to this point? Because um, I think I he means he, well. He means he lost them all. That they he lost, lost all those connections. Her. Those connections that he'd made with those people, they were now oh, lost for okay. a, for so a variety of different reasons. Mm. So with Donna, with with her memory, you know, he had to lose her. With with Martha, uh, she couldn't stay with him anymore for because he for was in own. love with him that's clearly why, yeah. defined reasons yeah. rose they were literally torn apart mm -hmm. but she's happy now because she's got another doctor yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, i think that's that's what he means and so when he says that mm. even though it's it seems harsh you think well no i i can't blame you i don't blame you mate i completely agree i see why you would i see why you would make that choice and at the end of the day she is still a wrong one you do, yeah, she's do, a wrong You do cheer yeah. when he uses the sonic screwdriver to get her out of the handcuffs. You think that's a very naughty thing to do. I didn't cheer. I just I thought didn't. that was stupid. Oh, I thought, dear. do you know what, right? She's she's a thief. You know, she's getting arrested. Why did he Why did he free her? There was no... I, I don't understand. He's, he's The morals there are completely... <laughs> I think that he there, believes like... that... I think he believes that he's redeemed her. Yeah. that he set her back on a on a better course that's knowing that knowing the character yeah. i'm not saying he's right sarah mm. but i think that's what he believes do you, do you know yeah. what i mean he doesn't yeah. apply he doesn't i guess he doesn't um the way we think as humans the doctor mm. doesn't really think that way i guess i i'm you know that's an excuse i guess because I, I just thought that was illogical towards the end and she should have really got arrested for she's probably stole loads oh, of yeah. artifacts she needs to go to jail she needs to learn her lesson but the doctor set her free and she flew off on a bus. <laughs> so what the hell? What the hell is going on there? <laughs> Another thing I'd forgotten about this is how much of a unit story it was. Units are pretty much a constant presence all the way through and done quite well as well. I think both personnel are very memorable I characters. The though. I know. I wanted the Brigadier to be I think that there. this captain is the closest that we've probably got that kind of presence who's a, 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 an actor who's, an actress who's got me. charisma she reminded me a lot of bombero who yeah in uh, battlefield you won't know cause oh, it's, in the uh, uh, it's practically uh, the same character yeah, <laughs> both uh, in every physically and in her in her personality well, she's quite small isn't she because remember that bit where you first see her and all the soldiers are like with the guns and she's like little mm. tiny girl comes out there <laughs> it's like mom yeah. it's like really small i'm like oh okay how did she pass her physical? I don't know, but there you go. So, yeah. A Planet yeah. of the Dead was the 200th Doctor Who story, which is why the bus was number 200. Well, they said it was the 200th story. This is very much up for debate because, like a lot of things involving numbers and Doctor Who, it's always up for debate. I'm not going to bore you with the ins and outs of that. I think it's best to just take it at face value and say, hey, yeah, this was the 200th Doctor Who story. And there was a corresponding poll that was running Doctor Who magazine around the same time. It's a lot of fun. I Do remember you, um, that when I went to when I went to Cardiff, I went to Cardiff to the Doctor Who Experience, mm -hmm. and uh, I I drove down an underpass to go into the bay and to head up to go to see all the props and all the rest of it. And I'd heard talk 
that when when you go to because I hadn't been to Cardiff at that point for several years, certainly not since they'd been filming Doctor Who. So I'd heard talk that there were Doctor Who locations all over this city. But it was literally as soon as I came off the dual carriageway and into the city to go right down the underpass that they use in this episode and to yeah. recognise it instantly <laughs> was just the, the strangest thing. It made me think it was broad daylight in my case, but it was still unmistakably the same thing. And it just, I got feels immediately. And so I'm, I'm just very, very fond of... I'm, I was asking you a question, right? Because the doc, the doctor seems to do this in a lot of episodes, even in classic. There's a problem. He comes in. Nobody knows who he is. He says a couple of words, and everybody gravitates towards the doctor and listens to him. Do you think the doctor has something because he's a Gallifreyan that kind of resonates out to something people that trust something him? Something psychic. I think yeah. it's just. I think it's just charisma. I I think it, I think it's charisma. And uh, I think it is also knowing, but not born leadership as such, and it's not even about being the cleverest person in the room, but I think it's a, about somebody who, I think it's about somebody who speaks with conviction. So it's mm. when he, it's always when he speaks. It's never just because he's there. It's as soon as he starts speaking and and. Whatever he's saying, whatever is he's saying, you know, you see that to a certain extent in this. When Lady Christina first meets him, she just thinks he's some kook. But as soon as she realizes that what he's saying is true, the way that she hears what he's what he is saying to her, that changes and it changes the way that she perceives him. And it's the same with everybody on, on the bus. So uh, if you remember in this story, Lady Christina assumes the leadership role, doesn't she? Because she thinks. She thinks he's just some kooky, geeky bloke who's gone on the bus and tried to pull her. So she stands tall and tell, starts telling everybody what to do. But she very quickly realises that, okay, this guy, he knows the score. He's the one to listen to. And if he says that he, if he can, if he says confidently that he can get us out of it, that there's no reason why we shouldn't believe in him because I've got no ideas. Well, I, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think there's something that the doctor is, um, has naturally maybe it's the within the dna of, of gallifreyans that you know other other species warm towards them. you meet I people like that you meet people like that in in everyday life as well some people just have that have that charisma or have, have like a warmth sarah that you can just you feel like you feel like you can you can trust them or you feel like you can talk to them or they seem like they belong or sometimes I don't know. they seem in, like they don't belong and that can yeah. make people stand out just as much i guess in real life Yes, but the stakes ain't that high. Do you know what I mean? If somebody, if we went for a wormhole, <laughs> you know, and somebody well, was, you, would you trust that that's person? The thing I about don't sci-fi. Think you would. That's the yeah. thing about sci-fi and fantasy, yeah, though, know. isn't it? It, it amplifies those situations yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and put, shows them through a particular lens, Sarah. So we get this sort of, I won't say a cartoon view of real life, but we get a we get comic book like scenarios, and therefore we get sort of exaggerated reactions. We get contracted. Uh, mm. complications implications and resolutions that's the nature of uh, genre storytelling I think particularly I think in short form I think Christina realised he was more than who he was when he started feeling up the sand and realising it wasn't sand and stuff like that because he, he just went off then so he walked spooky. off and he started yeah. um, looking at the sand and she was like what is he doing so, and, then, and then obviously there's that moment where he goes you know um, I'm a lord you know, I'm from the planet Gallifrey and stuff like that. And she 
go didn't start there at all so you're an alien you you know how comes you look like us but you look like Gallifreyan as well that 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 the dialogue as well so i mean they kind of they kind of matched each other maybe they wouldn't have made a good pairing because they were both <laughs> they were both kind of on that level weren't they so i don't know i don't know but i still i still think it would if they had another season she would have made a great companion uh, she was quite strong as well as as a, as a person, you know, she wasn't, exactly what she wanted. She wasn't insufferable. No, she well, <laughs> some bits, some bits she was, some bits she was, but but you know, I mean, every character is insufferable. I, I even thought the doctor was insufferable. Uh, well, I, I have point. to say, yeah. I've always kind of overlooked this character based on, it's a terrible thing to say, based on, based on what David Morrissey did earlier, based mm. on what Liz, Lindsay Duncan would do in the next one. I, mm. I, have really underestimated what Michelle Ryan was doing here. And that, for me, counts for the entire episode. This is far better than I remember it being. Uh, it's it's easily the, the David Tennant story that I've seen the least. And whilst on one hand it, it is really quite cheap and quite predictable, particularly if you're an older viewer, but I was delighted by how inventive, ambitious, funny... And edgy, I think this really was. I'm not sure whether it, it was edgy. always that. I think there was moments of real power here, characterization for the Doctor and the Malcolm and Captain Magambo situation too. I would say that's really, really edgy. I like that scene. And yeah, Planet of the Dead. I think that that's a, quite a bland title for this as well, which doesn't do it any favours. But I think this is a really pleasing caper. And its own dynamic, that, as you said, Ian, it does, it does sort of all rotate around the chemistry between David Tennant and Michelle Ryan, and you get some bug-eyed creatures and gizmos and portents uh, and all that kind of thing. What what more could you want for an Easter bank holiday, Sarah? What, what do you think? Have you always loved this? I, I enjoyed it for what it was at the time. There was that eagerness to see how, how it was all going to unfold. I think you appreciate it more because it's the last time Doctor Who was fun. If you know what I mean, it, it still yeah. was fun, but it it was getting more serious. It was getting towards the end. Right. I rolled my eyes when she kissed him. That was, was okay. Little, I didn't mind that. But, just... really? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, the thing is, though, it's really strange because, again, I keep saying this, and a lot of people disagree with me. Doctor Who should grow up. It's like the bit where he mm -hmm. takes out his, his sonic screwdriver and he goes, oh, don't worry, I make the phone work, blah, blah, blah. You know, people question it, but then it stopped questioning. I'd be just sitting there in the bus going, how the hell did he do that? What is up with this guy? You know, what, 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 you know, he's, and, and then he goes to me, oh, dig and get the wheels out. I'm like, no, you dig and get the wheels out. I ain't going to be doing dig and get the yeah, wheels out. I'm going with you. Do you know, know what I mean? It's like things like that. I think, I think they, I think they do. I think they are. But I, I also believe that on a show like Doctor Who, there's only so many times that you can show those kinds of scenes. Yeah, I know. It would I'm, happen I'm every okay, single yeah. time. Yeah. But it would get very, very old quite quickly. Uh, talking about what leans into what comes afterwards, I want to just talk briefly about Ellen Thomas playing Carmen. What's Ellen the chances Thomas... of the Doctor being on the bus with a psychic person? Well, yeah, she... Uh, Ellen <laughs> Thomas, one, maybe. Ellen uh, Thomas has been in everything as, as yeah, well. She's she was an she's East Enders yeah, too. Lots yeah, of sitcoms, dramas yeah. and stuff like that. Just one of those faces, yeah. one, of those one of those presences. In here, yeah, she plays another person who's got the sight just like Gwen in the unquiet in the unquiet dead she's yeah. got the sight got a gift 
And it works nicely within the context of the episode because it, it does say she works out that uh, she can hear the sort of screams of the people from the planet who are, are now sort of atomized as sand. That's really yeah. nasty stuff. But it also gives us this moment at the end of the episode where she's she's the first person to say to the doctor, isn't she? He will mm. knock four times. So is this the first time we hear that? I can't quite yeah. remember. I think so. She, she looks like my gran when my gran she's was alive. <laughs> oh, so I'm telling you, she looks like it's, a, it's a great moment, and she delivers it so well. And I've always had, I've always been in two minds about the idea of of premonitions in Doctor Who, Sarah, because he doesn't believe in ghosts and the supernatural and all that kind of thing, and yet we get premonitions and portents and and. Uh, well, that's different, isn't it? Um, because it's 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 a it's, it's a power that somebody has got inside them, rather than believing in something beyond life you know that that uh that exists so i mean i could i could i could buy it that she's psychic i mean maybe there are people on this planet that's psychic who knows but... do you think it's do you, you, so you think that sits well enough within the doctor who universe yeah the only a yeah lot of people feel that yeah, it does, i think it so doesn't, uh, no i think so the only thing that doesn't sit well is that it's a billion to one that she'd be on the bus <laughs> <laughs> with with the doctor but apart from that no, it's fine. Don't know. she might have been put there by exactly the exactly you know i think it works after watching the finale of uh, season four, when you've got all the, the timelines converging on the yeah. destiny that Doctor Donna yeah. was supposed to meet and all that, I think. But I, I do see what you mean. I, I understand why some fans wouldn't like it because it's more of a kind of science and logic based, yeah. based on concrete. But it, but it is science, though, isn't it? Because mm. if it, because um, because they haven't discovered it. It's yeah. all to do with the person, isn't it? So mm -hmm. it's 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 well within the science realm, as far as I'm concerned. But beyond life, beyond what we yeah. all know, that's beyond science, isn't it? So that's mm -hmm. why I guess the doctor can't connect with that. Mm -hmm. Then again, he did say, "Let's find God." When um, you know, when uh, what's his name died, and uh, yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, see, so. it, it got it got me. I was completely invested in it. I got wrapped up in it. It was it... only afterwards where people said to me, "You know, it shouldn't really be there." And I thought. Well, maybe you've got a point. I can, I can understand the niggle. I can see why people mm. might have a problem. But it's these kind of things. They just aren't deal breakers for me. They don't get no, yeah. under my skin the way they do. So. I think it works because of the reaction of the doctor. Because mm. he doesn't yeah. poo poo it. He actually he looks very worried, concerned. Mm -hmm. So if the doctor's concerned, yeah. we're concerned. And then everybody thought it was the master. <laughs> Everybody always thinks it's the master or, or the Rani. We're going to go and take a short break. Now, we're going to be back with our rating. What score are we going to give to this story, Planet of the Dead? You can find out after the break. Yeah, this is where our friend Kev's going to steam in and, uh, and let you know everything that's going on on all those other fantastic podcasts across the Fandom Podcast Network. Stay tuned, stay on board, and stay on course We'll be back here with more of our review of Planet of the Dead in a couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. 
Hair Metal Podcast. We cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. The Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. We've teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. Yes, there's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network. That's where you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of the shows on everything from T-shirts to phone cases and tapestries. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So everybody wins i'm back here with with sarah and with ian and we're reviewing planet of the dead a doctor who classic yes i'm gonna call this a classic sarah a classic from 2009 i'm gonna ask you first ian how many easter eggs out of five would you give planet of the dead this is a hard one um this isn't it mm, i'm gonna be generous so i'm gonna give it a three <laughs> that's the mega vote how about you sarah how many easter eggs out of five would you award planet of the dead I'm going to give it the full five. I can't think of a way that it could have been better. The script was good. The performances are fantastic. The memorable the fact that it's shot in Dubai and not constantly in Cardiff anyway. Um, it's an absolute disaster that it was to film. I think, you know, the, the but that, isn't that always the case though? There's uh, things going wrong and it always comes out yeah. much better than you anticipate. So that's what's wrong. Happy accidents. Film and TV now, we've got too much money and things are yeah. too smoothly. We need more bus accidents. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, yeah, and, and just phone, it just swept me away for the full hour. You can't ask for more than that from your entertainment, really. No, as I say, this has been a bit of a revelation to me. I didn't not enjoy it back in 2009. But yeah, the fact that I haven't gone back to it, I thought spoke volumes. But it turns out that I really, really enjoyed it. If you'd have asked me a couple of weeks ago where I would have scored this, I'd have been with Ian. I'd have probably given it a three out of five. This time, I can't Mm. quite bring myself to give it the full five. I'm going to give it four Easter eggs out of five. Why is that Uh, then? Yeah, what what does it need to do for the extra egg? (laughs) I think it needs to be slicker generally speaking first negative thing i've heard him say about a doctor episode. yeah I'm, I'm taken aback 
<laughs> and I'm Are thinking, you guys? <laughs> I'm thinking in in relative in relative terms. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at what Doctor Who was like at, around that time, mm. not just what was to come in the special directly afterwards, but everything that was put out in the average season of Doctor Who. Was this befitting a special? Probably not. I think they could have done really? with a few more tritivores, a little bit more mood. It's just not quite enough. And that's despite the best efforts of both David Tennant mm. and Michelle Rhino. I think they're both fantastic. Lee Evans in particular, as you said, Ian, mm. probably does steal this particular show. And another memorable turn from uh, from several, several of, the mem- of the cast members, come to think of it, from yeah. the bus driver to the, to the grumpy unit captain. <laughs> I, think everybody, I think everybody's brilliant in it. Uh, I think it could just have been a bit more in relative terms. I always say that, you know, if, if I can't think of any way in which it could have been better, then I do tend to go for the five. But in this respect, yeah, I think that it looks a little unloved. And really? You think that? Uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I can see why they went to Dubai, mm. but I think they could have probably have taken it somewhere else and and spent the money a bit more wisely. Else. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get too analytical about it, but that's my sort of gut instinct and uh, you know what i always say about this about these reviews (laughs) (laughs) what i always say about these reviews they're not the first word on these stories and neither are they meant to be the last word i probably will change my mind about it the next time i see that's one of the joys about doctor who yeah just to defend it slightly and i don't know why but it, is, it was very typical. I just think it was typical of a Doctor Who special, and, and I didn't expect any I'm more or any less for, from it. Do you know what I mean? I knew it wasn't going to be up to the, the the way the Americans present stuff in their sci-fi. I knew it wasn't going to be that, and I knew the music was going to be terrible based on the other episodes. Uh, but but you know, I, I I found it enjoyable, and as I said, Lee Evans made me laugh. You know, and Misha Ryan's pretty good on the eyes, and, and David Tennant was gurning a lot and shouting a lot, and it was, you know, he was doing his thing. He was doing his thing, wasn't he? The bit yeah. of the sunglasses where he turned the normal glasses into sunglasses. Yeah, exactly. by way. Yeah, it's all yeah. ridiculous, but it all works brilliantly, and yeah. it worked for the majority of the British public too. So mm. this episode, get this, this episode got a uh, an overnight rating of eight point four one million people. Wow, so that's great. Yeah. Uh, the then audience... again, it was a different time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. This is quite a, quite a long time ago now. At 39.6% of the mm. people who are watching the television at that time were watching this special. So that's the, the share, the audience share. 39.6%, very, very high. And the audience yeah. appreciation index figure, that was up at 88. So that's classified wow. as, as excellent. So that's... Yeah. Pretty good, good result yeah, for really that. Result. This was the height of Doctor Who's popularity, the height of the David Tennant and Russell T Davies era, where toy stores were full of of the brand. It was absolutely everywhere. We got the trading cards, we got the comics, all that. It was an absolute explosion. And of course, you know, this was Easter, so there were Easter eggs too. Easter eggs are plenty there. Back in two thousand and nine, and the Tenth Doctor, his song was about was about to end. But at this point, things were, you know, he was still the darling of the TV schedules. Planet of the Dead is available, obviously, on the on the iPlayer. I think it's up on the iPlayer at the moment. And you can stream it too. Which streaming service is this Is this on now? I think it's, um, is it on BritBox? Is it it's, on? Um, it's on Sky. Oh, it? They're pretty much everywhere at the moment. Mm. 
or you can pick it up on physical media. You can get the Blu-ray and the DVD there of the individual releases, and you can get the, the complete specials, that box set that's got them all into. So this was the first story to come out on Blu-ray. You've got several choices, and you can still pick those up, either new or second-hand copies. They're all in circulation. I watched my uh, my DVD copy. I did, you? Yeah. I watched it on Sky. I watched, I watched it my DVD copy. It does look great in HD. And it contains the best line in doctoral history. What's that then? I'll just go into this police box and arrest myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a great line. Oh. Michelle Ryan is indeed playing Lady Christ- Christina for Big Finish. I think they've put out a couple of different box sets with her uh, encountering various Doctor Who creatures and characters there uh-huh. in a set of box sets. I've not heard any of these. I've always I been a little bit it. cynical about the amount of spin offs that Big Finish produced, and yeah. this seemed like one too far for me. But I have to say that I enjoyed her so much in this, I would probably consider listening to these. Uh, David Tennant announced his departure from the role of the Doctor on live TV, very memorably. I remember. accepting an award, Sarah, at the National Television Awards. That was the second most dramatic thing after that splitting. He was in the interval of giving a performance of Macbeth, wasn't he? I, I remember I was watching the NTAs at the time, and I couldn't quite believe what I, what I was seeing. How he was, how he was able to do that, sort of sandwich one performance in between, in between <laughs> another. Expertly done, I suppose, like David Tennant always seems to pull off everything expertly. In the, in the 13 years since the, the final moments of the Tenth Doctor's era, David Tennant has never, he's never been off the screens as he's defied that idea that this is a part that um, casts people to type mm-hmm. for decades afterwards. And he's what been able to, to go... him? <laughs> well, no, he hasn't. He's, he's been able to go back to the part over and over and over again, Ian, on, on but, television, on I audio, think those, yeah, and I for think... one-off charity things. He seems yeah. fearless in his association yeah. with it in a I way think... that other actors, I think... Not necessarily on. I, I think those days are gone because um, remember there was this huge divide between movies and, and TV actors and, and, and movie actors. But now that, that, that line's blurred. I think he's a great ambassador for the show, Sarah. Uh, yeah. It's probably it's a good actor as well. His, his best. I mean, I would say that uh, Peter Capaldi is also an excellent ambassador for the show. But David Tennant seems so proud of his association with it. And some people say, well, how many times does this guy want to come back? Does he want to play all of the doctors? And maybe, maybe he does. I don't know. <laughs> people complain a little about David Tennant being as ubiquitous as he is in the same way that Tom Baker, that Tom Baker was with the, in the classic era. But when somebody's having this much fun and throwing himself into it as much as David Tennant does, that he has remained at the top of his game ever since, even when Doctor Who itself, when it's Doctor Who's fortunes may be uh, quite low, Sarah, naming no names, <laughs> Tennant's continued association with it, the fact that he won't distance himself from something which may be failing at times, means that he still believes in it. And so yeah. I think the audience will say, well, if that guy is still happy to be associated, he's happy to go back, he's happy to do this, then maybe it is worth sticking with, worth coming back for. I, I don't know. I'd say that the Tenth Doctor is from... Many people, certainly in Britain, this is the characterization that is probably the most popular, uh, certainly since Tom Baker and possibly, possibly ever. Uh, After a couple of months speculation last year, it was announced that yet David Tennant would would be back again. We talked about it on this very show, in fact, but I don't think any of us, Sarah, could predict 
the exact circumstances of Tennant's latest return to the show. There was a, a big reveal. So that was in May we got the confirmation that David Tennant would be returning to the show, but we didn't know the exact circumstances for several months. And that's an entirely fresh story that we'll be covering as the anniversary year continues here on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, to be continued. But uh, yes, Sarah, when you look back at the 10th Doctor's era, what are your overriding memories? Because obviously you came to it with his predecessor, but this was this was the boom. What does this version of the character mean to you? Really good times in, in my life. Uh, it was at the time I was a student going into, you know, work and having my first child. Uh, Joshua was born in 2008. The whole family, my nan, like you were saying before, everybody loved David Tennant. My nan, she, she wasn't really bothered about sci-fi or fantasy, uh, but she liked David Tennant and she'd sit and watch. She didn't have a clue half the time what was going off, but she just liked watching him run around and save the day. And yeah, all, just all ages, kids at school. Doctor Who was everywhere, you know, it was in the shop. You went to Toys R Us and there were just aisles. And yeah, it, everywhere. it was like a bygone era, unfortunately. Mm. But that, that is an awful thing. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> you remember the David Tennant Oestrogen Society of, of women who would... Who yeah. would follow him around the stage doors and things like that, yeah. you know. <laughs> there was a, a very devoted fan base for this man, which does seem to continue to this day. You know, he's um, forever associated with this part. He used to say in interviews, actually, Ian, that mm. the moment that he got the part of the Doctor, that he realised that the first line of his obituary was now written. It was a certainty. Yeah. It was unmovable. That is true. You think so too? Yeah, I mean, unless he does another part that actually, you know, is big as the Doctor. Like, like for instance, um, Patrick Stewart. What, what do you put on his grave? Do you put Professor X or do you put Captain Picard? Big and both, isn't he? So I guess it would be Captain Picard and his one will always be the Doctor, won't it? So no matter what will he does, be? unless he does something that's so huge that you forget about the Doctor. But Maybe it'll be voicing that android in that upcoming Star Wars. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the question is, which, you know, not just will it be the Doctor, but which Doctor will it be the 10th? Or will it know, be, no. or will it be the 14th? Who knows? No, That's all coming up the before, the, before <laughs> the end, uh, before the end of, of this year. And we'll be talking about it very excitedly as it counts down to the anniversary itself. So we've got several months to wait until it appears, until the, the shape of exactly what the BBC, Bad Wolf, and Disney and Sony, exactly what they've got planned. At the moment, it's the three specials followed by the Christmas special, but there must be something else, some things else out there. I can't wait to find out. We'll be covering it all here on both Type 40 and Type 40 Live. What a pleasure it's been to revisit this episode. Whose idea was it again? It was mine. It's that girl. <laughs> that girl old. there. That girl there. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. It was perfectly timed. And I was surprised how much I enjoyed this. But that's the old girl now starting up a lot easier than this bus did. Starting up and calling time on yet another edition of Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast. I'll be back, as always, with another one. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40 over at type40.podbean.com. Maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Podbay, all those places. And of course, we're still on the fabulous fandom podcast 
own master feed loaded up with all those treats not just on the weekly they've got it coming to you on the daily so yeah please consider a trip sideways in time visit the fpn you may well just find your next favorite podcast as we always say interact with us through our social media instagram and twitter at type 40 doctor who for all of that or email us type 40 doctor who at gmail.com if you're feeling really brave of course and fancy some real-time extra-dimensional chit chat you can you can get just that just step into the type 40 facebook group (laughs) and that's where you can find all forms of life geeking out about classic doctor who new doctor who and anticipating what's to come sarah in all new doctor who heaven knows where that's going to go in the specials and series 14 going forward yes so go and find the type 40 facebook group and and hang out where can people catch up with you nowadays sarah on social media uh you can find me on twitter at starry eyed who and how how about you ian i'm on twitter i'm on facebook i'm on instagram as the mega geek that's enthusiastic no i just i just sometimes Uh i think social media is uh i know it's a necessary evil today but i just think sometimes it's a big waste of my time i'd rather be talking to people face to face than but you know i understand if people haven't met me whatever go go knock him up yeah Yeah, Yeah. uh, (laughs) which which calf or bookies are you gonna be in (laughs) and you can catch me on instagram and twitter as the space book where i'm wheezing and groaning ranting and raving about every all day <laughs> inside and outside of the tardis I've, i think it's been a rough week this it week has. i think i've done a little little bit too much of the of the ranting and not enough raving come and see what uh yeah what's got my goat this week i didn't even know i had a goat to get but apparently apparently i do that's it for the 10th doctor thank you sarah for your company it's great to have you back Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to me. Good stuff. And Ian, as always, for for the mega perspective from the megaverse. Oh, me, I've missed you, Ian. But yeah, that's it this time. Thank you to, to you for listening to all of this. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. But that's it for this time. We'll speak to you all again soon. You take care. Bye bye.